Welcome back to Partnerships Unraveled, the podcast where we unravel the mysteries about partnerships and channel on a weekly basis. My name's Alex Whitford, and I'm VP of Partnerships here at Chanex. And this week, I'd like to welcome our special guest, Ard Peter. Ard, could you give us a, a, bit of back, a bit of background about what you do, who you are, and why you're on the podcast today? Yeah, I'm uh, Ard Peter Duan. I'm a professor at the Vrije Universiteit in Amsterdam, and I also work as a consultant to profits and not-for-profits. And I've uh, almost dedicated my life to partnerships and ecosystems and collaboration. So both in research as in practice and advising companies about how to set up their ecosystem and how to govern their partnerships. So we've literally brought the expert in, which is uh, good. <laughs> I, uh, I hope I didn't oversell myself. Uh. <laughs> well, we're going to find out. We're going we're gonna to give you a deep test today. Um, so I think for our listeners, it would I'd love to get a bit into in today's uh, discussion, not just purely around the IT channel, which is what we spend a lot of our time, but get your insights into why partnerships are booming. Yeah, I, I think um, we, we've seen a very long-run development, long-term development in companies increasing their partnerships, but especially I think the past couple of years you see that it's really high on the agenda. And uh, the reason is, the most important one is technology development. It's going so quickly that a company just cannot do everything on their own anymore. You don't know, you cannot keep up with all the technologies, but also on the market side, and that's, uh, so the supply side is one thing with the technology, the market side is another uh, other element. Uh, we see more complex problems in clients, so you cannot solve them anymore on your own as a company. You need to do that together with, uh, with a partner. And also to get into um, yeah, different market segments, yeah, it's impossible for one company to have in-depth knowledge about all the different market segments. So again, that requires partners to bring that specific information about the market to yeah, your organization. So I think both on supply and on demand side, so to speak, you you see forces that uh, yeah, yeah lead to uh, increased size of ecosystems. Excellent. And so mm. what what you're talking there in in the sort of IT vernacular, I suppose, would be the tech alliances, right? How do two organizations bring a product? offering together and then the more channel side of the ecosystem which is then how do we take that to market at scale i've really seen more recently that tech alliance start to boom right when we look at software players microsoft aws google or even things like hubspot marketplace salesforce marketplace where where do you see that that growth coming from is it is it are customers driving towards different things what's what's affecting that change that we're seeing this boom yeah, I think it's customers driving uh, to to for this change, but it's also the, the scaling of the technology it's, uh, itself. The, the new technology enables a lot of what's going on in partnering. Uh, the the real problem used to be with partnerships when I started out with that, which is right after the Middle Ages. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, they, the problem was you had alliance managers. Uh, and they were doing a great job, but they were also the big constraint because how many partnerships can you handle as uh, as an alliance manager? Uh, and so one alliance manager could perhaps have 10 partners, huh? but if you had a really big partner, then one alliance manager wasn't enough to, to manage a, a very big uh, global system integrator, for example. Uh, so, But with technology, you can really scale that and increase your bandwidth. And then uh, the, yeah, the number of people you have is no longer the constraint in developing your partners. And, and so we, we often see in the channel people using distribution to help scale that, but we're really still limited by the same factor, which, which is people. How do you really solve for that, that person-to-person thing? What can we automate? What can we use technology? And do people still have a role within partnerships? 
Yeah, I th- think people still have a, a role because also the relationship between people still is important and that's often where it starts. Uh, so, um, of course, you can maybe sell something uh, kind of anonymously through a channel uh, and there's nothing wrong with that um, to get more simple sales. But if you're also talking about tech partnerships, you also need to work together to develop a solution. And then still people are important uh, in that. And then you still need to think about how are we going to govern uh, the partnership? And, and what are we going to, uh, what's the strategic focus of, the, of this partnership? And that requires also you know, people still sitting at the old fashioned table uh, and looking into each other's eyes and thinking, okay, can we do this type of business with these persons or not? Yeah, my, my big rule is automate and use technology for literally everything that you can and let people work with people, right? I think one of the things that we really see is people are chasing orders or whatever or emailing marketing collateral across and then calling them and say, what are you doing with it? And actually what we should have people on is working just on the relationship element and wherever we can automate all other processes so that I can spend as much of my week having conversations like these. Yeah, and I, I agree. And uh, what we used to see, that a lot of uh, time was spent on administration. <clears throat> you know, what is our joint sales funnel? Often we didn't even know because it was across different silos. And then the alliance manager had to go out and find out in the company, what type of business are we actually doing with this co-sell partner? Yeah, all that can be automated now. And that frees up um, time to, yeah, like you say, for the relationship and to think more strategically about where are we heading with this uh, partnership. Yeah, one of the things that I'm continually fascinated when we look at it from an economics perspective, whenever there's a big technological tra- change, the uh, the low-skilled worker at the bottom is eaten up and disappeared. But what is replaced is very high-skilled workers that are able to do the job of many, right? We've seen this in every leap forward in technology. And I think we're seeing this within the channel, maybe as AI comes in as well. I'm I'm, I'm seeing support tickets, for example. AI is able to do the triage for 80, 90% of support tickets, but then the 10% that's left, you need someone that's really, really highly skilled. Do you think we're going to see that same level of automation and AI change? And then that means we've got very senior stakeholders, very strategic stakeholders who are left? Yeah, I, I think so. I think that's a trend we're already seeing, actually. And so the people are starting to focus on the complex things and the things that AI cannot handle or that, or that cannot be programmed into uh, an algorithm or something like that. And that um, also means that where you're going to be distinctive as an organization is precisely on that. You're not going to be distinctive on the technology per se, uh, but um, uh, you're going to be distinctive because you're able to manage that level of complexity and to yeah, do maybe the deals that others cannot do and that cannot be put online so easily. So we're seeing partnerships booming. We're seeing technology play a critical role in ele- elevating people to be for- more focused on on people roles. But what specifically, if you're seeing these changes, what should we be looking for to make those changes and, and really drive success? Well, yeah, what what should we be looking for? I think as an individual company, you need really to think about the why. Why do I have these partners? Why do I have uh, this ecosystem? And uh, how are we going to distinguish ourselves from our competitors? Because I think we come from a time where you could see, if you go to the big GSIs, they're all doing the same thing. I mean, I don't want to offend anyone, but really, <laughs> whether I go to PwC or KPMG, who cares? You know, they, they have the same same offering. Um, and if you get that, then, uh, yeah, you're going to end up with price competition. 
and you're probably not going to deliver a lot of value to your your final uh, customer. So I think we also need to rethink the the why of partnering. So what type of partners do we need, and what kind of distinctive value propositions do we want to put into uh, to the market? And that also requires uh, finding partners that have very specific industry expertise, for example. Yeah, f- for me, what's funny there is you actually need to build a two or even three-sided why, right? There's the why to the end user. Why am I going to build this bridge? There's the why to the partner. What value are we providing to the partner and how are we making them more successful? And there's the why for the tech alliance. And one of the reasons I see tech alliances fall apart a lot is they're very, they can be very one-sided. One party is getting almost all of the benefit and then the bridge falls over, right? Yeah, and that's, that's I think, where... Um there's still kind of a mindset in IT that we need to push things out via the channel partners, for example. Whereas I think if you have a good ecosystem, it's bi-directional. You can also learn from your channel partners and from the other partners that you have and your tech partners because they also see the market and they may see a market segment that you were not aware of. Or they may be in a certain geography where things really are going quite differently than in your own geography. And so I think you also need to organize for that bidirectionality in, in the ecosystem and to learn from the partners and, and share the learnings with your, your partners. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a really interesting concept. I think almost sometimes the, the SMB partners, right, the high volume of partners, they're almost disrespected, right? It's like we're going to give you content, you're going to sell our products, and we're going to monetize you, and, and, and that's the, 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 the sum game. Whereas actually, they're your feet on the street, they're, they're your eyes and ears, and they should be, if you've got the right interconnected tissue, giving you the information that allows you to remain agile. And I want to touch on that agility piece. Most channels, because they deliver hyperscale, are very inagile. How can we ensure that we have that bidirectional communication and we, we are making accurate decisions effectively and quickly? Yeah, I think that's partly a role of technology that you can see what works in the in in the market eh? you you can you can look at the data of which partners are doing interesting stuff but this is also where we can go back to the discussion we had earlier this is also where the people business comes in eh? so can you actually co-create new solutions with clients and 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 uh, that is where the the ideology should come from Uh, it also is in your own organization Eh? a lot of organizations are not organized properly to take advantage of the um, the ecosystem that they're in. And so they uh, still have the silos. Uh, it's still unclear who's, who's doing what in those organizations. Whereas, yeah, you can also have agile teams focus on a specific market segment or, or industry uh, and develop um, uh, solutions together with that industry um, and, and then bring them to, uh, to a broader market. Yeah, we're seeing this a lot, or certainly I'm seeing this a lot in uh, startup scale-ups, right, where they have typically a startup or a scale-up, they're not going to be building for the channel first, right? It's uh, If you want to go far, build a channel and build an ecosystem, but if you want to go fast, direct usually wins because you maintain full control. But actually, we're now seeing this pivot point where I can get to 30 million ARR direct, so that's what I'm going to do. But then, oh, I need to access new verticals or new markets. And then that's suddenly where I'm looking at ecosystems to build in a more scalable way. What would be your advice to those sort of scale-up leaders when deciding, should I go into an ecosystem and what best practices can I take? Yeah, I think, should I go into an ecosystem should not longer be the question, in my opinion. And so 
because usually you are you are in an ecosystem already without knowing it, and the, the partners are there already, or stakeholders are there, your know, clients are there. So um, um, I think that that's kind of a, a question that we shouldn't ask anymore. Um, but uh, obviously, um, if you're, you're a scale-up, yeah, you may start with your direct sale model, and at one point, to, to grow further and to scale further, you will need partners. Um, I think there it comes back to, um, again, the strategy. What do we want to achieve? What, what are the valuable market segments? Uh, but also, um, yeah, you already have clients, and uh, you'd be surprised that your clients can also be your partner, and they can also uh, show a direction in which the market is developing. Um, so also make use of what you have already, because the ecosystem not just the partners, your clients are in there, uh, in there as well. Yeah, we're we're always talking about the synergies between customer success and ecosystem management, because actually the practices that you have embedded in a direct organization for customer success are very transferable. And it's funny you talk about that innovation. It, it's an incredible how many products have developed brilliantly based on customer feedback, where they go, yeah. oh, it should do this. Yeah. And that's the whole point, right? Your partners are able to go, oh, we've deployed this technology in a way that you didn't think it should be deployed and it's working brilliantly. And that's almost your landing motion into a new segment, right? Because you're getting that initial feedback. Yeah. And then you can look at which partners can I use to bring this to the market and to, for which market segments does this make sense? And so that's really, yeah, the co-creation with the client is also a learning opportunity to think about yeah, what partners do I need to uh, yeah, bring a, a solution to the market. To, to me, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly obsessive about data and, and why I love the ecosystem is I can stress test a thousand different ideas almost simultaneously, right? We're not doing A, B testing. We're doing A, B, C, D, E, and F right. and onwards because I can take, push it out into the ecosystem and let the ecosystem, because it's a living, breathing thing, decide for me, right? I don't need to have a hypothesis. I can say, right, guys, this is how we think it should work. Over to you and let me know. And then we can double down on it once we yep. know how it should work. What are the things that we can be measuring? What are the things we can be looking for to get a get that look and feel back? Yeah, I, I think in general, we tend to focus too much on measuring the revenue and the sales, and there's obviously nothing wrong with revenue and sales. <laughs> That's uh, what, we, what we all want. Um, but it's often a short-term uh, measure. And that's okay for some channels and some partnerships that you have. But if you want to test things in the market, like you said, then maybe uh, it's much more interesting to see, um, you know, how many people have actually clicked on our page that we've, or on the minimum viable product that we're offering. You know, have they looked at that? Uh, and even if no sales comes out, yeah, it's quite different. If you, if nobody is interested in a site that announces a minimum viable product, which I, no one company did without even having the minimum viable product, they just put a site out there and say, okay, we have this type of product. And they saw, oh, a lot of people are clicking on this site and on this link. Apparently, that's interesting. Uh, so uh, you can also think about these type of leading indicators. And that's also for, for sales. Um, it's not necessarily the revenue, but how many people are certified in a certain technology? Uh, how many people have come to an event that we organized? Um, yeah, and, and certainly if you start building new solutions together with clients, then uh, yeah, measuring, do we have a proof of concept? Huh? Um, is there a first client that we can talk to? And the client maybe doesn't even have to pay anything. It could be just, can we test it at a client and are they interesting? 
those things are also very valuable uh, to measure, especially if you look a bit further than the next quarter. Yeah, for me, you're absolutely correct. When, you know, I do a lot of funnel analysis here at Chanex, right? We evaluate how deal velocity, deal size, conversion rates. But if I just looked at closed one revenue and and took all my learning from there, there is a thousand reasons deals aren't moving. And so if we just analyze, did the deal happen? No, it was a failure. And you go, well, we got... All the way down here. Is it incentives? Is it yeah. training? Is it what uh, collateral that we made available? What is it? Can we yeah. figure that out? There, I, yeah. I have a, a new favorite phrase, and uh, my uh, my team would be rolling their eyes because I'm shouting it almost every day at this point. <laughs> but it's uh, there are no silver bullets, but there are a hundred golden BBs. Right? Yeah. We need to keep iterating yeah. each right. element. And then we get this huge return because suddenly we've got the right message, we've got the right product, we're taking it to the right customer through the right partners, and now we've got an engine that's yeah. self-sustainable. Yeah, yeah. So often it's and 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 huh? and incentives and training and those kinds of things, and then to figure out what the right balance is, that's that's not not that easy, but it is, I think, uh, where um, uh, yeah, where the value lies. Well, I, yeah, I think it, you know sometimes I get into the you know into arguments with people, and they you know channel doesn't work, direct is better, and I I just Pick a company. Tell me a massive company. Because if they work in IT, they are all channel business. You know, anyone that's doing a billion dollars revenue a quarter, I think every single one is in the co-sell space, right? Whether it's co-delivery, co-sell, distribution margin, there is all some iteration of the same thing. Because for you to hit that hyperscale, you need support. Yeah, and, you know, there are always going to be channel initiatives that fail. But um, the question is, do you learn from it? Why does it fail? And um, uh, so failure as such is not an interesting thing. It's uh, how can we improve it and what are the causes then of, uh, of failure? And, and we've seen certainly in the beginning when companies started with, uh, with channels, yeah, we've seen huge failure rates. Yeah, obviously, it's a new, new thing. But by now, I think we know much better what's, what's working. And I think companies then now say, yeah, the channel doesn't work. And I wonder, did you really try? Uh, or um, yeah, did you s- set it up to fail? Or did you do just one single experiment with one partner and then for one reason or another it didn't work with that partner and then at once we say, oh, all partners are crap. Uh, that's not a logical way way of thinking. No, and what, what's really crazy, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm smirking because I hear it all the time, oh, we've tried, it doesn't work. And then I think, were you there when you started building this business? Because I get no business in the world worked the first time yeah. round, right? Yeah. They all made a thousand mistakes right. before they got their first deal, and then even then, it wasn't exactly. working. And and so you went you went through this entrepreneurial motion to build a direct go to market, and yet you're expecting I don't need to go yeah. through an entrepreneurial motion to build a channel, which I would argue is actually more complicated, but with much higher upside. Yeah, yeah, and and a lot goes wrong internally uh, as well in companies. I mean, where where are the partner managers in the organization? Uh, for some, it may work fine to have them as sales. For others, it could be much better to have them as strategy, for example, or in business. Uh, um, um, they're also not always um, incentivized in the right way. They're not always supported in the right way. So the people that are responsible for the for the partner programs, um, yeah, that, that's also a separate profession nowadays. Huh? And and companies that are new to uh, channels and partners do not always realize that it is a new profession that also requires specific knowledge and sales. Yeah, I'm, I'm reminded of that Thomas Edison quote, right? I, I didn't fail 999 times, I 
learned how to not make a light bulb 999 times but then it worked once and that's all we need right we we only need it to work once and then the model then works and the great thing about the channel and why i'm I'm sort of obsessive about we're not a b testing we're a through to z testing is i can try seven different variations in seven different partners to different end users and i'm just waiting for that light bulb to turn on once and then we go right we've got it now it now i'm going to dive in and we're going to replicate this strategy on and then continue to iterate, but we've got the foundation that we know works. Yeah, and also here, I think it should be bi-directional because if you're talking to a prospective partner, you can also ask them what makes them tick. Huh? Uh, what what will work for them? How do they see uh, the partnership? And I still see a lot of organizations that do not really have this conversation, but they assume, and they assume that the partner will probably want this. And I can tell you one thing from uh, 25 years in partnerships and alliances, all those assumptions are always wrong. And so one of the tricks I sometimes do is when there are two partners uh, together and they want to set up a partnership, I send them, send, give them just a sheet of paper and say, okay, uh, each company write your top three things you want from this partnership and the top three things that you think the partner wants from this partnership. And then they have to show the paper to each other. It never matches. We always assume that a partner wants, I don't know, revenue in this industry, but actually the partner doesn't care about an industry. Uh, so, um, yeah, uh, don't assume too much about what your, your partner wants. It's really a success factor also to discuss that with them and to learn from that. And that helps you to build a more effective uh, channel partner. And I think this is where I sort of always, I'm, I'm slightly confused. I do a lot of consultancy um, for American SaaS companies in terms of how do you build a channel in, in, in EMEA. And there's some, typically speaking to salespeople, right? Mm-hmm. That's typically right. who you're speaking to, sales right. leaders. And I sort of sit there and go, do you sell your product like this? No, you obviously ask the customer what their pain points are, what yeah. they're trying to achieve, yeah. and then we integrate into that right. strategy. And what do we do with partnerships? Yeah, yeah. what do we do with <laughs> Here's partnerships? Here's the stuff, sell we, it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we assume we yeah. know what you're yeah. doing and we just yeah. ram it down your throat, right? Yeah. And you, you go, that's never a cohesive, it will never work yeah. to build a sustainable sales strategy, and it will work even less to build a sustainable partnership strategy. And so my gut is always, find the easiest answer, which is, bloody pick up the phone and ask the guy yep. right he'll he'll tell you what is important yep. to him and then yep. we orientate the strategy and, and we talk a lot here about two-sided strategies i need a partner strategy partner messaging and partner value and i need end user strategy and user value and then i just pull the two things together if you get those two things broadly yep. correct you're probably going to be very successful and it's interesting how much partners want to tell you because they have an interest in it as well and I've worked with one organization once and that were also very much internally focused. I said, well, come on, let's, let's, who are your stakeholders? Who are your partners? Let's invite them for an evening and ask them. Well, it took them about a year to think, <laughs> think about that. And then they finally said, yeah, maybe it's a good idea. And so we started inviting like the top 20 partner stakeholders, clients. And the interesting thing was, all 20 of them came except for one. And he was on holiday and he said, I miss it. Uh, sorry, can I join next time? Because everybody was willing to discuss with everybody, even with, with the well, 19 people in that one room, and they were discussing ideas about how this organization could uh, could improve. And so they're, they're very much willing to share all the knowledge and insights that they have. And in the end, I think three great ideas came out and they implemented and they, they were on their way. Excellent. Look, Art Peter, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, listeners, if there's one thing you can take from this podcast... Find the easy solution, speak to your partners, get the answer, um, and we look forward to seeing you next week.